believe wholeheartedly that Bobby will beat Brock. And it comes down to hunger. I don't know that Brock's hungry anymore. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character with me, Ryan Satin. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, I'm so excited for this week's interview. We've got someone on the show who I have been wanting to have on here. Since I first started doing this, I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Out of Character, two-time United States champion and former tag team champion, MVP. MVP, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You got it. So I want to start this off asking you what I ask everybody else at the start of the show, and that's how much of your real true self is there in the character that you play on TV? Uh, I always say that the best personalities in professional wrestling are themselves with the volume turned way up. Rock, Austin, that's those guys are that with the volume on their real personalities cranked all the way to the maximum. So I'd say quite a bit. Would you say that in your normal life that you've got the same kind of confidence and swag that MVP has on camera as well? Because those are two of the words I would use to describe your character from just watching you on TV. Yeah, um, that's part of why, uh, I guess part of why I work so well character-wise because I don't have to pretend very much with who I am. I take a lot of the elements of my real personality and apply them to the character and that's why it comes across as more organic yeah i mean it definitely comes across as organic but have you always been that confident or did that something that you had to kind of develop in life because i mean i think a lot of people i've talked to some people on here and some people feel like you know they had to kind of create the confidence that they wanted to portray on tv but it, like you said it seems very similar to who you are in life so did you always kind of have that same confidence even before wrestling well, yeah, I had the confidence before wrestling, but I didn't always have it. My confidence comes from life experiences and, and you know, overcoming hardships and realizing that, yeah, you're going to be all right. It might be rough. You fight your way through it, come out the other side. And when you're still standing, you start to build confidence in, in your abilities. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. And I think that I, I also like with you, you know, when I was prepping for this and I was trying to figure out some of the things to to talk with you about. Uh, I like that you have so many passions in life that you just have kind of gone towards and and really immerse yourself in, whether it's MMA or music or comic books or tattoos or pro wrestling. I really like that, you know, you, instead of uh, wasting your time, you really maximize your time with all your different passions. And I think that's pretty cool. Variety is the spice of life. <laughs> yeah, my grandpa. Yeah, my grandpa. That was literally my grandpa. That was like his motto in life that he used to always try and instill in me. Good words to live by. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, let's talk a little bit about the Royal Rumble coming up. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. To me, this feels like the culmination of everything that you've been working towards with Lashley. You know, you finally kind of like helped him get the match that he's been trying to manifest for years now. Um, how does it feel to see someone that you're so close with finally getting the thing that he's been working towards for so long? Uh, it's like redemption. I. I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley is that that matchup for the ages that everybody has wanted to see for the longest time. And uh, I was just having this conversation with Corey Graves. The uh, in professional wrestling across all the companies, 
there aren't a whole lot of dream matches left of, of this magnitude. And to be able to finally get the almighty Bobby Lashley and the beast incarnate, uh, Brock Lesnar, head to head, straight up, is something that, I mean, most wrestling fans have been craving for a really long time. And I know it's something that Bobby has wanted for a long time because, I mean, let's face it, let's, let's look at, at their backgrounds. Brock Lesnar was a, a, a standout collegiate wrestler. So was Bobby Lashley. Brock Lesnar was an MMA champion. Bobby Lashley never got a chance to fight for a title, but his record of 15 and one is better than Brock Lesnar's five and three. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, I, I, I've said a few times that Brock Lesnar is a once in a lifetime athlete. You know, one of the most phenomenal athletic specimens we've ever seen. I mean, you take a guy who said, hey, I'm going to try out for an NFL team, even though I never played high-level football, and almost make it. That's something to be said for that level of athleticism. Uh, to step into the UFC and to win the UFC championship and become a dominant force in that as well. There's nobody on the planet like Brock Lesnar except Bobby Lashley. And I say Bobby Lashley is the yin to Brock's yang. You know, you, you take that and you put Bobby Lashley across from Brock. And in terms of athletic specimens and uh, legitimate backgrounds and ability, I don't think anybody else in our industry, much less on the planet, could match up with Brock besides Bobby Lashley. So this is redemption to, to finally get here and have this clash of the titans, these, these, these two kaijus, to be able to, to tear down Tokyo, or in this case, St. Louis, <laughs> is something I think we've all been looking forward to. I want to see that cartoon now of Brock and Lashley as giant kaiju breaking down the St. Louis arches in the middle of their fight. <laughs> you know, that's a really good idea. I wonder if, if WWE can't throw something. I mean, nobody does better packages than the WWE, you know, the hype packages. That would be something I'd love to see. Man, the one they did, the package they did for Brock and Lashley that aired on Monday Night Raw this week, the last week when people see this, but that package was, to, in my opinion, one of the best packages WWE has made in a long time. I was so into it. I felt like I was watching this, like, just such an epic tale, like a Game of Thrones status tale here, and, and, it, and it really heightened the big fight feel that's coming up. And you know what? You, you got to give credit where it's due, regardless of, of how you feel about WWE as a wrestling fan. There's a reason that they're the, I dare say, Coca-Cola of professional wrestling. You know, that, that global brand saturation is recognized everywhere. Nobody does it as well as they do. I mean, nobody, not the, not the NFL, not uh, you pick any organization. Nobody puts together better hype packages in the WWE. And when the content of the hype package is Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar, an epic matchup of two of the most phenomenal athletes that the world has ever seen, two guys who are <laughs> quite capable of killing you with their bare hands, going at it with each other. I mean, that it, you, you don't have to put a lot of hype into it, but what they did with that package was nothing short of phenomenal. And if you've never, ever, heard of these two guys after watching that package i'm pretty sure that uh pretty sure you'd want to tune in and see that clash of the titans absolutely it's funny that you say that about lashley in terms of size and stuff because yeah you know i've interviewed so many people in in pro wrestling 
but he's definitely one of those people when he's sitting like this close to you when and you can just see that all his muscles are bigger than your head it's just like man this guy is so intimidating you'd never want to take a punch from that guy and so yeah i man i had almost resigned to the fact that i thought we were never even going to see this match i thought that it was never going to happen so i'm so happy that we're finally getting it so did we so did we so it's great and I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to think about it because <laughs> Bobby Lashley is one of the few guys that actually looks like his action figure. I dare say in real life, he looks better than his action figure. <laughs> so it's pretty impressive. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I've never seen Brock in person, like, you know, close, but I can imagine it's a very similar feeling of just like, oh man, that guy could kill me. It is. And to, I mean... Brock and Bobby, that's another thing that they have in common. That's why I say they're like a yin and yang. Uh, I've been in the room with Brock Lesnar, and his presence is so powerful. If you had no idea who Brock Lesnar was and he walked into a room, you'd look at that guy and go, wow, look at that guy. Who is that guy? Same thing with Bobby Lashley. You don't have to know who he is or what his name is, but if you see him walk into a room, immediately you're drawn to that guy and his presence. So at the Royal Rumble, you are going to have two athletic, skilled behemoths who want to hurt one another, who are looking for the opportunity to be able to say, I am the alpha in this matchup. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm going to have the best seat in the house. Well, I, I, only the referee has a better seat, but I'll, I'll be right there pretty close. Well, another person who's got a very close seat there will be Paul Heyman. And I feel like, you know, it's cool for me to see and I'm sure it's cool for you as well that, you know, that he's going to be on the opposite side of such a big match for you and Lashley um, when he's kind of the one who helped bring you back into WWE. It's kind of like a full circle for you as well. Yeah, it is that um, uh, to borrow a very popular phrase, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. And uh, he opened that door for me to come back to the WWE and, and what was supposed to have been a one off has turned into two years of, of pretty productive um, <laughs> pretty productive run with lots of entertainment value. So, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's special for me for that reason as well. Aside from seeing one of my closest friends and a guy who I respect very much getting an opportunity to realize something that he's wanted to accomplish, and that's facing Brock Lesnar, to be able to stand at his side across from Brock Lesnar facing Paul Heyman, who – in my opinion, is one of the greatest wrestling minds of all time, period, bar none. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty emotional uh, feeling. Yeah, I, and you probably want Lashley to beat Brock since when you came back, it was against Brock too in the Royal Rumble. Like, I just think it's awesome how there's so many like full full circles here. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that Bobby will beat Brock and it comes down to hunger. I don't know that Brock's hungry anymore. I mean, you know, I, I, I've said before, <laughs> uh, I think it was Mike Tyson that said, you know, it's, it's hard to get up at 6 a.m. and go put in that road work when you sleep on silk sheets. And, you know, what's Brock's motivation? You know, Bobby has a motivation. He wants to prove to Brock and to everyone else that Bobby's no Brock wannabe. Bobby is more than that. Bobby is the almighty. 
And Brock, uh, I guess, you know, he has his internal level of excellence that I'm sure he wants to maintain. But I don't think he has anything to prove, whereas Bobby does. And when it comes to athletics and it comes to combat sports, uh, you can't discount the importance of having that, that chip on your shoulder. And I've been with Bobby training. And sometimes when Bobby's training, you know, when he's pushing out those reps, you know, I stand there and I say very loudly, Bobby who? Next rep. Bobby who? Next rep. Bobby who? So when you disrespect Bobby Lashley, it usually doesn't go well. And I think that, uh, again, I was talking to Corey Graves earlier, and we were talking about Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. And nobody expected Buster Douglas to beat Mike Tyson. And I firmly believe that Mike Tyson went into that match looking past Buster Douglas. And I think in this case, Brock Lesnar, at least based on his words, calling Bobby uh, a Brock Lesnar wannabe and referring to him as Bobby who, you know, making him the butt of his knock-knock joke. Uh, I think Brock Lesnar is in for a very rude awakening at the Royal Rumble. Well, this morning I was listening to uh, Instagram Live that The Rock was doing with Jay Glazer. And it kind of goes back to this a little bit where Jay Glazer, he has a book coming out, I guess, and he was talking about the 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 pillar, the five pillars of an unbreakable mind or something like that. And they were saying that one of them, one of the things due to like build up your mind, have an unbreakable mind is to look at the people that you want to be on the same level as and, and do more than them to show that you can be better than them. And uh, I feel like that's kind of like what you're saying with Bobby Lashley now. We're like, he's not, you know, he's in there every day working towards this. Like he has not just something to prove, but everything to prove in this match since he's, you know, been talking about it for so long. And so uh, I totally understand that. And I kind of agree that, you know, when you're in that scenario, it's easy to, to kind of like look past someone. Uh, when you're Brock Lesnar, it's easy to look past most people. I mean, there aren't very many. Yeah, you know, realistically. Look, let's be real. If I put you in a room with 10 guys and Brock Lesnar was one of them, and I said, you got to fight these guys and put them in the order that you want to fight them. 10 times out of 10, Brock Lesnar is the last guy you're going to want to fight in that lineup. Yeah. But when you come to somebody like Bobby Lashley, a guy who can match Brock with his amateur career, his professional career, Bobby's mind works differently as a competitor. Brock's the first guy that he wants to fight, not the last, because he wants to test himself against the absolute best. And it's not very often that Brock Lesnar runs into somebody who can best him, who can compete with him. So I can see where uh, uh, somebody with Brock Lesnar's credentials would look past somebody like Bobby Lashley. Doesn't say very much for his intelligence. Certainly doesn't say very much for his advocate, not reminding him, do not take this man lightly. So at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, Bobby Lashley is salivating at the opportunity to fight Brock, where most people are coming up with excuses not to fight Brock. Do you think that this will be a short match between them or a longer match between them? What are you predicting here? It depends on how much will Brock has, because I know that Bobby Lashley is coming with everything, and he's coming with the with every intention to break Brock Lesnar's will. Short, long, oh man, that's that's. I mean, you got two phenomenal athletes who 
two alpha males, two guys who aren't used to giving way to someone else. So I think it's a matter of whose will gives out first. Yep, that makes sense. I want to ask you. Yeah, is that it will be Brock Lesnar's will that will break before Bobby Lashley's? I, I, I. That's gonna be that'll be a crazy thing to see Brock Lesnar's will break. But man, that's what makes this upcoming match so can't miss because if Bobby Lashley can make that happen with Brock, man, that'll be a moment a lot of wrestling fans will never forget. I no matter what, this match is is one for the ages. It's definitely one of. You know, the whole big fight field, you know, the 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 way in, you know, not not your stereotypical contract signing, but a way in. Uh, you know, there are so many aspects of this match that makes it truly one for the ages. Okay, so I want to touch on one thing that you had mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, you talked about when you first came back and how it initially was going to be a one-off thing. Um, but then it did turn into a full-time thing. So when you first came back, what were your expectations in how you'd be used? Because it felt like initially your role was kind of flexible. Like you were kind of working behind the scenes. You were doing different things and dipping your toes in different areas. I had no expectations. Uh, as I said, initially, my return was one-off. And that one-off turned into, hey, can you make it to San Antonio tomorrow for Monday Night Raw? Which, yeah, okay, sure. And then afterwards, I was offered a position as a producer. You know, I was poised to retire. And I thought, all right, let's, let's give this a shot and see what happens. And, yeah, I was working you know, a little bit behind the camera. Uh, and I expected, as a producer, maybe periodically they could bring me out to do things like what I did with Edge or McIntyre, little, you know, get over segments. And then COVID hit, the pandemic came in. And uh, I was let go from my position as a producer and asked to be full-time talent. And in the beginning, the PC era, you know, there are a lot of uh, people that were staying home for health reasons or weren't travel, whatever. And uh, I was asked to carry the ball and I did. So I didn't know what was expected of me, but I found myself doing commentary for main event, doing VIP lounge segments, putting the boots on and wrestling. And quickly before I was prepared for it, I just found myself back in the swing of things so I didn't have any expectations at all beyond giving it a shot as a producer. And, uh, you know, as we say in this business, car subject to change. <laughs> well, was being paired with Lashley something that you pushed for or something that was just brought to you? Because I know you guys had done it in the past and other promotions and, and you had been had a long time relationship with friends. But was this something that you that, you know, that was your idea? I can't take credit for it. Uh, it was actually Bobby's idea, and it was something that Heyman wanted, Paul Heyman wanted to do. And uh, bless him for it because, you know, Bobby and I have a very natural chemistry and we work well together because we're actual friends. And um, so I, I, I wish I could take credit for that pairing. But, you know, once it came together, uh, you know, Bobby and I continued to throw ideas at each other and, Fortunately, the door was open for us to put in a lot of input regarding, you know, where we went creatively. And, you know, as you can see, it's 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 been money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's changed everything for Bobby's entire run in, in WWE. I mean, it's not like he was doing necessarily bad before, but I mean, you definitely helped bring him. You were like helped become the missing piece of the puzzle that he needed to get to where he wanted to be in WWE. And you really did help push him to there, I think. I think that's a fair assessment. 
I mean, it works out well. You know, Bobby beats people up and I talk about it. <laughs> it's a fun gig to have. I'll take it. <laughs> Would the same... Would... Was it the same for adding Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander as well? Did you or did you push for those to be added to the group? Yeah, once at that point, you know, we uh, we were fortunate to be able to have a little input because Bobby had the idea for a, a, a management type stable and a Shook Knight type character. As a matter of fact, Bobby said a cross between The Rock's character from Ballers and Shook Knight. And, you know, Shelton was like, man, that's MVP all day. Nobody could do that better than him. And once he put me and Bobby together, you know, the, the thought of adding Shelton was great. And, you know, we, we were excited about adding Shelton. And it was cool that they were with us on that. And then when it came to adding a fourth member, uh, I knew Cedric from around but Shelton actually had a uh, relationship with him from his time at Ring of Honor and uh what we ended up doing was we felt that you know we needed a, a young gun and a high flyer to, to to round out the group and you know when we were given our options of who it could be we felt that Cedric would benefit the most and simultaneously help us round out what we wanted to do so it was uh it's really cool that we were allowed lots of input into who we wanted and how we wanted to do it. Well, I think that's why people liked it so much. I think that's why you still hear people being like, well, wait, can you just put them back together? Because I think it did come across as a very natural thing that, that, that clicked and, and it didn't feel forced. It felt like you guys were all friendly with each other. The, what you just said about Suge Knight and, and the Ross character ballers makes all the sense in the world. I love hearing that. Cause I did not realize that was, uh, the who you know who inspired kind of how you put that together. So um, all that did feel really natural, and so um, it makes sense to hear that from you because it, it was it came across on TV as well. Yeah, well, like, again, I, I give credit to Bobby because that was Bobby's characterization, and that was an idea that he had. And you know, kudos to the higher ups for saying, "All right, let's give it a shot." And um, it was very organic because Shelton Benjamin is one of my closest friends uh, as you know, Bobby Lashley was one of the first guys who, uh, as a matter of fact, many years ago, my first run, Bobby Lashley bet me a steak dinner that I would win the United States championship. And just like I believed in him this time around that, Hey man, you should be doing a lot more than you're doing. Bobby saw something in me and said, watch, you're going to be U.S. champion. I bet you I'll bet you a steak dinner. And I had never been so happy to pay for a steak dinner in my life. So <laughs> um, it, we do have a very organic relationship. And uh, Cedric fit in perfectly because he's a tremendously talented guy and he was coachable. And he knew that the opportunity to be you know, where he was with us, you know, the veterans of, of our status benefited him greatly. And he. Uh, he was open to it. You know, Cedric's one of the guys that if you if you give him some criticism or some advice, you see it manifest itself immediately. You got a lot of guys that will ask veterans for advice because it's the thing to do, but they don't actually apply it. But you could see Cedric's aptitude was there. And, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, from the time he joined the Hurt Business faction, um, you, you could definitely see where there was a, a change in gears and, and, and how he performed. 
I absolutely. I would say that, you know, he was I was already a fan of his before. I, you know, I'd seen all, you know, a bunch of his matches. I was a big fan of his, but being in the hurt business really did help him establish a fully formed character. And I and you could see it week to week. Each week he was more of a fully formed character and he was he was showing more personality and and he already had the the in-ring side down, but I think this is I think being paired with you guys really did help teach him, not teach him, but help him get better at the other side of things. No, we did. We actually did teach him some okay. things because, you know, it doesn't matter what you think you know. You know, there's always somebody that knows a little bit more than you that can teach you. And, uh, you know, I've been in the business over 20 years and I'm still learning. People are still teaching me things. So, you know, that, that that's not an unfair thing to say. But the most important thing is is being teachable, being coachable, being able to receive it and not being one of these guys that goes, yeah, but. Yeah, but I was like, okay, got it. And, you know, we'd call him to play and, and Cedric could execute. So it was uh, it was one of the one of my favorite points of my career. I think I was watching my words there because I tend to put my foot in my mouth sometimes. I'll say something that I mean in a positive way, and then someone's like, why'd you word it like that? What the hell, man? So I, I get nervous sometimes. That's the only reason I, I hedge uh, the way I was wording that there. Uh, what was your favorite part of the Hurt Business's run altogether? Whether it was a match, a segment something more personal? Like, what was your favorite part about it? Uh, there's a photo that we took, and uh, Rob Schamberg, uh, he actually commissioned him to make it into a painting, which ended up becoming one that they uh, recreate, uh, well, what do you call it? They, uh, the prints, or you know, the, the prints of the actual painting. Yeah, yeah like a reproduction and of the prints. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, that photo is of me sitting in a chair with Bobby behind me with the WWE championship, flanked by Cedric and Shelton with the tag team championships. I think that, you know, in my career, I've been very fortunate to have done so many things. I've accomplished so many goals, and there's so many things that I have to be proud of. But I think that moment, us coming together for that photo and uh, me and my friends, my brothers, realizing a dream of, of being at the absolute pinnacle and being champions and, and being in a group together, that's definitely one of my, my all time in my whole career, one of my favorite things, not just about the Hurt Business, but specifically that moment with, with the Hurt Business. Um, yeah, special moment. That picture's awesome. I know which one you're talking about. That picture is the best. You guys all look so cool in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we are cool. <laughs> That's the good answer. Uh, before I move off the Hurt Business, uh, one question about, one more question about them. Um, if you could start a new version of the Hurt Business and add two new members beside you, who would you pick and why? I don't know that I would do that. That you know, that would be like saying, "Hey, let's start a new version of the Beatles and get two new members." Okay. Um, I, I, the the hurt business is, is was what it was, and you know, if I was to start a new faction, it would be just that—a new faction with a new name and a, a new direction. I think the uh, the hurt business was a moment in time that I would wouldn't want to attempt to recreate because I mean, let's just face it. How often does a remake 
How often is a remake as good as the original? Rarely. Not, rarely, yes, rarely. That's that. I, that makes sense. I mean, I was more thinking like the hurt business was like you said, like a like a management business. So I figured like you know like you could manage new people to slot them in there. But what you say makes all the sense in the world. Like I, you wouldn't want to replace or try to redo a moment in time. That's impossible to do. Uh, yeah, we the, just start a new LLC and and we'd, we'd rebrand it and start all over. <laughs> that makes sense. So was the MVP character something that you came up with back in the day, like on your own, or, or was there people who who kind of helped you form that? No, it was completely my creation. Uh, I had a number of tryouts with WWE and uh, John Laurinaitis. I cornered him one day and said, hey, man, we don't... as a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> my exact words for him were, my exact words for him were, tell me what the F I got to do to get hired here. <laughs> and he seemed taken aback that somebody would talk to him like that, but I was so passionate about trying to get a shot. And he said, we like you. We just don't have anything for you. Come up with a character that we don't already have, something that you can that you can do that we don't have, and get back to me. And uh, at the time, I was working on South Beach. I was doing, uh, I was bouncing at a club called Mansion and uh, doing bodyguard work. And all the time, I'd see these athletes come up to the club. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool because, you know, there'd be guys like, Shaq and Jim Brown and, and Dr. J, like first ballot Hall of Famers that I met who were super cool and, and, and respectful and, and very approachable. And then you'd have guys that were like the, the third round draft pick from the Dolphins that nobody ever heard of that would show up with an entourage and expect <laughs> to be treated like royalty. And I do, nobody even knows who you are, man. What are you talking about? And I mean, it, let's be honest, you can turn on Sports Center any night of the week and there's some pro athlete that's saying or doing something ridiculous. So I, you know, took the, the, everything bad about pro athletes, you know, the egos, the attitude, the, the narcissism. And I said, you know, we've had characters kind of like that before in professional wrestling, but putting a modern spin on it and, and taking Ocho Cinco or, 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 you know, the, uh, the, the Rod Tidwell character, uh, <clears throat> Ron Artest, you know, all of those guys and turning them into a professional wrestler. So I came up with that idea and I put it together in, in a treatment and pitched it to Johnny Ace, John Laurinaitis. He liked it. He asked me to send in the package and everybody was pretty impressed by it. And accompanied with that was a, a CD that I sent that had some promos and, uh, after that, I got the call, like, hey, we, we really like this. We want to hire you to do this. We're going to give you a shot. Well, I, I love it's that so much. I love that so much because when I had Paul Heyman on the show a few months back, he talked about, you know, being younger and his motto in life being make it happen. And just like he wrote it on his wall, like make it happen. And I like that with you that you were just like, what the F do I have to do to make this happen? Like, I want this. What do I got to do? They told you. And then you went and did the work and made it happen. And I, I think that's so, so cool that you did that. Uh, I also love that you had the balls to say that to John Laurinaitis while you were trying to get a job from him. Uh, and so well, it, it answered my question point, earlier that you did have confidence from a young age. What did I have to lose? You know, <laughs> every time they came to Florida, they booked me as an extra. And, you know, I got to do a, a dark match and, you know, I got, but I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I wanted him to understand how passionate I was. Like I, I know that I can provide 
a level of, of, of entertainment here with my confidence, my athleticism, my personality. I just need an opportunity. Tell me what you need from me and I'll do it. And I think one of the things, especially in my younger days, that allowed me to be successful is that I was coachable. I take direction well. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. And I'll take it from there. I also think one thing that you've always had to your advantage was your charisma. Because, I mean, I went back and I watched your first vignette, not vignette, the first um, backstage that you did with Teddy Long, where you've got the whole spread out and you're eating oranges or whatever. And you can see from that first appearance, the natural charisma you have, the confidence you have. And it's clear when watching that, you're like, man, this guy is going to be a star. You even called yourself a future Hall of Famer in it. And, and, and your career has gone to a point now where you're for sure going to go in the WWE Hall of Fame. So I like that you had that confidence even back then when your character first debuted. If you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone else believe in you? I, I, I used to tell extras all the time. If you're not going to invest in yourself, then why should anyone else invest in yourself? You, you know, if you, the WWE is the pinnacle of the industry. And if you want to be there, if you want to perform there, I mean, well, you know what, let's, let's rewind it. To climb, to lace up some boots and climb into the ring, you have to have a certain level of confidence anyway to get in there and put yourself on full display in front of a room full of people who are going to cheer you or boo you. And to, whether it's in a VFW hall in front of 50 people or whether it's at WrestleMania in front of millions of people, you have to have a certain level of confidence. I don't think there is anybody that laces up the boots that doesn't have confidence. You have to believe in yourself. You have to want to be the main event. You have to want to be a star and you have to have some measure of ego and people, you know, don't, You'll, you'll hear people say, oh, yeah, but you can't have any good. No, you have to because it's all about you. And you have to do the things that you need professionally to get to a level where you can show, hey, I belong here. And if you don't believe you belong, then why should anyone else believe? And, you know, let's be honest, you know, especially at the WWE, that's deep water and there's sharks swimming in that water. And it, it, if you're not a shark, you're chump. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I think that what you just said right there about like, if you don't believe in yourself, how can anyone else? I think that's what a lot of people struggle with in general. Like that, that, that's where a lot of people's insecurities fall, myself included sometimes. So I, that, that, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying right there. And I think that having confidence is, is a, is a must in order to become a superstar in wrestling. And everybody has moments of doubt and, you know, if everybody has, you know, some sort of insecurity, but it's, the difference between those who are successful and those who are not are those who are able to overcome those insecurities and overcome that doubt. And if you're able to do that, then sky's the limit. I mean, what's going to stop you? Was the gear your idea too that you wear? Because I've always felt like you have such cool gear. I remember when you first when you first debuted, it was kind of like a, everyone was like taking it back by it. Like, whoa, what's this crazy gear he has on? But I've always thought it's so cool. Was that something that, that you brought to them or they brought to you? Like, hey, look at this. The idea for the gear was mine. Um, that initial outfit was absolutely rotten. It was, it was horrible. It wasn't the manifestation of, of what I was trying to create. And I, I actually thought it was a practical joke because <laughs> rather than looking like, you know, a high performance super athlete, 
I look like a figure skater. And I even said, like, this looks like something Brian Boitano would wear, not something that MVP would wear. Uh, and Vince looked at me and said, your ego is going to get that over. But um, Under Armour was still a very small company at the time. And, you know, Nike Dry Fit was the new thing. And that's the look that I was going for. I wanted something, you know, along that that workout gear, that Uber athlete kind of gear. So the, the the first one, when I saw it, I remember thinking, all right, they're ribbing me. They, they, they don't really want me to wear this. This isn't the design that I came up with. Which color and was that? The blue, blue one. Blue, that's what I thought. Yeah. On it that's what I thought, yeah. When, uh, when JBL said I looked like a Bud Light can. Yes, yes, okay, yes. <laughs> and I have to agree, it was terrible. It was rotten. But fortunately, over uh, the next few evolutions of the next few, we finally got to what I really wanted, the, the, the design that I actually wanted. And that was, uh, I, I think it was either a red and black or a blue and black where it said protect this ring down the arm, kind of, you know, like the Under Armour, you know. Uh, and that's what I was going for. I was going for something that looked like something you'd see athletes working out in. And, uh, you know, we finally got to that point. But yeah, the, that that first outfit was absolutely rotten. That's not at all what I had in mind. And that's not the design that we had, but that's what was made. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to get to the point where it became what, what I originally envisioned. And it's crazy because uh, over the years, I've, you know, during my time when I was working in the Indies or, you know, working in other companies, I'd see young guys that would wear an outfit similar to mine and they would come and ask me for permission to wear something like that or you know tell me that they were inspired by my gear which was very flattering because you know there were uh, I remember when I first started wearing it you know you had people that were chanting power ranger yes I very I thought, much remember that <laughs> I thought they were all idiots because if anything I looked like Jushin Thunder Liger you know you should have been chanting Liger Liger not power ranger but you know nobody called Liger a power ranger well, maybe because Liger was already a cartoon, but um, yeah. So I, you know, I, but but I had a, again, I had a vision. I had an idea for what I wanted, and it just it, it took a little bit of time to get to that point. But ultimately, we did, and now uh, it's flattering because when you see somebody wearing that kind of outfit, now people refer to it as, oh yeah, that's the, that's the MVP outfit. Yeah, I I I feel like. The purple one is the one that sticks to my mind the most. It looks like a purple and white version of the of the outfit that the, of the gear that I like the most. Is that right? Is there a purple one? There, yeah, there were a few purple ones. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember exactly. I, you know, over the years, who knows how many dozens of, of variations there've been? But um, I'm sure there was a purple and white one at some point for sure. The best one was the Black Panther one, though. That was definitely the best one. No, it wasn't Black Panther. That was Killmonger. Oh yeah, okay. Well, Black Panther. You got to brush up on your Marvel, man. You got to brush up on your Marvel. That was a Killmonger outfit. <laughs> and every time I hear somebody go, "Oh, that was that was a cool Black Panther outfit," okay, you're, you're a casual. I that am one hundred percent. I am one hundred percent a casual comic book fan. Fair I don't know. I feel like I've only actually read one comic book in my entire life. I read uh, the Infinity War. I'm probably. I, I think that's the right name. When it when they first said Marvel was gonna like make that where they were going towards. I was like, well, I should read it and see where they're going here. I think that's the only one I actually read. Shame on you. 
<laughs> Dude, it's hard. It's hard to keep up with comic books. It's like there's a lot to keep up with. There's so many comic book characters and and galaxies and things to keep up with. I feel like you gotta like. I already have pro wrestling take up most of my time. It's but hard to have comic you manage books to keep up with pop culture rumors and gossip and whatever else. So you make time for what's important to you. And <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've got time to go on Netflix and binge watch shows that you like, you know, so if you found a character or found a storyline that, that amused you, then you would take the time. I, I, you know, my favorite of all time is the Punisher, favorite character. And, you know, I, I remember being 12 or 13 when us, I, I read the Spider-Man that featured the Punisher in it. And then uh, I started reading Punisher comics. And actually that was when I really got into comic books about 12, 13, somewhere along there. And just over the years, I've just, I don't read every title. I can't keep up with everybody. I don't know what's going on completely, but there are certain titles over the years that I have kept up with and that I, I still read. I have a, uh, the, the Punisher Max series is Garth Ennis is probably my all time favorite, but yeah, hey, you, you make time for what you want to do. Who besides Punisher, who's your, who's the rest, who fills out the rest of your top five of your favorite comic book characters? Top five. Wow. Uh, you can do top three if it's easier. Uh, Punisher for sure. Spider-Man has always been a favorite since I was little. I always thought Spider-Man was dope. And Spider-Man, the Punisher was introduced in Spider-Man comics. Uh, Punisher, Spider-Man, of course, the Wolverine. You can't not dig the Wolverine. Wolverine was phenomenal. Um, I'd say that's my top three. Probably Spider-Man, Punisher, and Wolverine. How good was No Way Home? I loved No Way Home so much. Uh, I got a hot take for you that's going to... A lot of people love oh, no. Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. Wait, what'd you say? Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. That's not a hot better take. Than Toby, better than Andrew. No, I, I, I posted that and a whole bunch of people went off on me about, you know, uh, Toby Maguire. And you know, I, I, he was good. He was good. Andrew he Garfield. was good. He was good. Andrew Garfield was all right. Tom Holland embodied right. what Spider-Man seems to be like. I And I'm not, like I said hardcore comic book guy but like he does seem to be like the embodiment of what people thought of spider-man as uh, i heard somebody say that toby mcguire did a good job being peter parker andrew garfield did a good job of being spider-man tom holland does a great job of being both and i i, I guess that's a fair assessment but yeah no way home was spectacular and i, I look forward to seeing more I, I look forward to seeing tom holland grow in the role of spider-man uh, I, I've seen the conversation being had uh, from, between people of saying what was better, No Way Home or Endgame. Where where do you fall on that? I, I, I don't even care to make that comparison. It, I mean, they're great. And I just enjoy the, the, the universe and I'm enjoying the movies as they come out. Some are better than others. Some are really good. Some are okay. Uh, so I don't have a preference in terms of which one was better i thought they were both really really good yeah they both were really good i was i it was hard for me to pick uh, the reason i wanted you to pick is because it was so hard for me to pick so i know it's it's a tough one because they're both such fan service movies where like if you've watched 10 years of marvel movies you're gonna like endgame if you watch 20 years of spider-man movies you're probably gonna like no way home so i think that's the only reason yeah. I, I i was i was comparing them a little bit 
Although the only, and I understand we don't live with properties and, and, and who owns rights to what, it gets kind of complicated. But my son, who's seven years old, his favorite Spider-Man is Miles Morales because Miles Morales looks like him. He said that when he was five, daddy, I, I like him because he looks like me. And, you know, which uh, coming back around to Black Panther, representation matters. And, you know, having a hero that you can immediately identify with to my five-year-old son, he goes, hey, hey, he looks like me, daddy. I like him. Uh, my son said that Miles Morales was glaringly absent from No Way Home. So we're going to have to figure out a way for Sony and, and all these companies to, to get over whatever legalities there are so that we can get Miles Morales in that. I completely agree with your son. I thought for sure that like, at least in the credits, like there was going to be like some kind of post credits thing where like you were introduced to like a kid named Miles or something like that to kind of like get us there. Cause I've even seen Tom Holland talk about how he thinks that his run should be coming to an end soon and that they need to do a Miles Morales movie for that very reason. So um, I, I completely agree with your son. I thought that they for sure should have had some sort of like, even if it was just a tiny bit of a tease for it. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, there's all kinds of legalities that prevent that, you know, who owns what and the rights to whatever and that, all of that. But as fans, you know, that they definitely want to see Miles Morales on the big screen, not animated and and, and firmly entrenched in, in the, the canon Marvel universe. Absolutely. Well, I got two things I want to talk to you about before I let you go here. One of them, I just wanted to say one of my favorite feuds of yours when you were full time wrestler was the stuff you did with Matt Hardy. Uh, I was a, I'm a huge Hardy Boys fan, so everything you guys did was very, very memorable to me. Do you get that from a lot of fans, from people saying that was one of their one of your favorite one of their favorite things you did? I'm honored to say that I hear that all the time. Uh, it, it's very flattering and humbling to me when I hear people say, "Hey, man, the SmackDown you and Matt Hardy carried SmackDown during that time," or you know, "Oh, that was my favorite feud," or oh, you know, "I remember watching." Um, you know, Matt Hardy is, is a very good friend of mine and uh, Matt and Jeff both are really good guys, good friends of mine and I had the opportunity to work with them quite a bit but that feud with Matt was one that uh, resonated with a lot of people and you know, I have people come up telling me how much they enjoyed it because I mean how long do feuds last as long as ours did the life that it had um, and then you know that being being the odd couple tag team and then the contest. And, and one of the really cool things is that Vince had an open door for us and gave us the opportunity to have lots of input in the things that we did, the contest. So uh, I had so much fun doing it at that time that uh, you know, they say find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. You know, during that period, uh, we were just having so much fun because, I mean, few things in life are better than making money with your friends. And I had an opportunity to make a lot of money with a guy who ended up becoming a, one of my closest friends. And, you know, we had a blast doing it. So when people come up telling me how much they treasured that particular time, uh, it's it's honor. It's, it's an honor to me to be able to uh, hold that kind of endearment in, in, in the hearts of the fans. Well, I'm definitely one of those people. So it's, it's cool to hear you say, because I, I, man, I loved 
all of that. Like it's one of those things and that I, like, burned in day, I maintain there's no question about it. I was the captain of the team, hence the C on my suit. I was the captain. No discussion. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't dig into that. I will say though, I rewatched the Evander Holyfield boxing fight that took place on Saturday night's main event while I was prepping for this. And just watching you interact with him was so funny. Was that fun working with him during all of that? Hey, Evander Holyfield used to be, well, I mean, still, but I was a big, big fan of Evander Holyfield. I'm a huge boxing fan. I love all combat sports, but you know, I, when he, during Evander Holyfield's cruiserweight light heavyweight run, I was a huge fan, and I always said, "Man, well, what if he moved up to heavyweight?" And you know, I remember when he started training with Lee Haney, and all the boxing pundits were saying, "Ah, oh, he's not a true heavyweight. He's just hiding in a bodybuilder's body." And he went on to become one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. So for me, being in Madison Square Garden, being introduced by the legendary Michael Buffer, and sharing the ring with Evander Holyfield was surreal. It's like, is this really happening right now? And and it was, and it did. And again, it's one of those moments that people always, oh man, you and Matt Hardy with the boxing match at Evander Holyfield. It was it was absolutely spectacular to be a part of that. Well, I when I had Dolph Ziggler on here, he talked about the time Hugh Jackman punched him on WWE TV and how he had to tell Hugh Jackman, like, yo, dude, don't pull back at all. Punch me in the face because this has to look good on TV. Did you have to have any kind of any kind of conversation like that with Evander Holyfield before before he punched you? No, no, not at all. I mean, he, uh, he, and Hugh Jackman's a phenomenal actor, but uh, I'm sure he can act like he knows how to throw a punch. Whether or not he can actually throw a punch, I don't know. But you know, you got to figure boxers are in total control of their hands. They can hit you as hard or as light as they want to. So there was no discussion about him hitting me. Because, you know, you got to figure boxers, you know, when they go hard, they go hard. And sometimes they have light sparring sessions where they're just, you know, kind of tapping. So I, I wasn't concerned about his professionalism at all. And we didn't have to have a talk with, with him about, you know, making it look good. Because, you know, that's what he does for a living. He throws punches. And, you know, people say, oh, my God, how, how hard did he hit you? He tapped me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, mean, I wasn't sure. You can't tell. I mean, you, it looked, it came across great on TV. So that's kind of why I was wondering because you, you can't tell and you, you hit the nail on the head there that I didn't, I didn't really think about that. I forget when they're sparring that like, they're not, they're trying to pull back a little bit. It's, it's a different kind of a uh, control. Yeah. Control. They, they, exactly. you know, it's, it's muscle control. Yeah. Because you know, when you throw thousands and thousands of punches, yeah, you know, you know exactly what you're doing and how to do it. So I, you know, I wasn't concerned at all. As a matter of fact, I, I was like, no, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get knocked out by one of my all-time favorite boxers. How cool is this? <laughs> all right. Well, we've reached the end here, but I like to end each show with a segment I call The Finishing Move, where I talk to my guests about some of their signature moves that they're famous for. Uh, so I'm going to start off by asking you this. Who is your favorite person to hit the playmaker on and why? Uh, I don't. You know, I, I hated that finishing move. It, <laughs> it was given to me. Uh, if you remember, like three or four different people had it before me, yes. and they were all able to somehow get out of using it, and and I got stuck with it. So I, I tried to make it look like a Heisman pose. Um, what I hated about it was it relied a lot on the other guy to look good. Yeah, he had to, you know. So 
Uh, I wasn't really a fan of, of, of the playmaker, and I can't even tell you who I enjoyed hitting it. Well, who made it look the, the best? Who made it look the best since it relied so heavily on the other person? I, man, I, well, you know, when you're working with some of the best in the industry, I mean, you know, there were so many guys. You know, I, Matt Hardy made it look great. Uh, Ray Mysterio. I mean, so many different guys that I worked with that, you know, that took it well and made me look good. My favorite was the, the Shining Black the, the, that I stole shamelessly from Chono Masahiro. One of my all-time favorites. Now, many people dubbed it the drive-by. I don't know who came up with that. <laughs> I, I didn't. Really? Um, I've, somehow, I always thought that was, that's crazy. I always just assumed that was the name of the move, too. I never called it the drive-by. I, I, I think maybe Taz might have been the first person to say it, maybe. I, I, I remember, I feel like I remember hearing him say that. Because one time I remember somebody was hanging off the edge of the ring. And I ran, and I used to do it where I'd pull somebody's head to hang just over the edge of the ring apron and I get a running start and boot him in the head. And I think he referred to that as the drive-by and somehow that stuck, I think. So when I started doing, you know, Chono's kick where I'd step off the knee and boot you in the head, that was my favorite finish to use because I could do it to Big Show, I could do it to Rey Mysterio, I could do it to anyone. Um, the, the playmaker couldn't necessarily do to everybody. And, uh, then they decided they wanted me to go and uh, start using a different finish for various reasons. But, uh, you know, as far as finishing moves go, I never even care for the playmaker. So. I, it's so funny for me to hear you say that because I feel like that's the general vibe of that move online too. Of like the general consensus of people, people being like, that's kind of the move they gave to people when they didn't know what to give them for a finishing move. So it's funny to hear you say that when, you're, when it was so synonymous with you for so long. And when you're a new guy, you know, they say, hey, do this. You go, okay, I'm going to do that. You know, you don't go, ah, well, I'm not really comfortable with that. That's not really what I want to do. But all right, cool. It's kind of like and, that rolling reverse DDT where they, they that's like the other, they swap those two moves as like, the, if you don't have a finishing move, do this kind of thing. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, that, that hideous outfit that they gave you that I had to wear at the beginning, you know, you make it work. And, you know, I, I didn't like the playmaker, but I'm a professional and it was my finishing move. And I, 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 you know, used it and it's synonymous with me. The guy who invented it, you don't even hear his name being used. I think it was uh, Elix Skipper was the guy who invented that move, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he called it the overdrive or something. Yep. And um, you don't even hear his name being associated with that move. So, uh, you know, I, I took it and I made the best of it. And you know, to this day, you know, that. MVP and the playmaker. So, all right. Well, lastly, what's the most memorable time you hit any one of your finishing moves? What was the most memorable time? Mm. The most memorable time that I, uh, most meaningful to you, look the best, anything. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough question. You know, it, it, it's, it's difficult because I've been so fortunate in my career to work with so many incredibly talented people. You know, and I, I've, I've worked across various companies. I've worked around the world. You know, I've worked with some guys that you've never heard of who are absolutely phenomenal. 
Um, and I've worked with some guys who you have seen who suck. Um, <laughs> so I've I've had countless experiences that were just great. And you know, people will ask me, "What was your favorite moment here? What was your favorite moment there? You know, who was your favorite guy to work with?" What, like, you know, if you look at my resume, man, I've worked with The Undertaker. You know, I've worked with you know just. Ray Mysterio, you know, the, the list of guys in my career and various companies that I've been able to work with, uh, I'm just fortunate, man. So, you know, to, to pick a single moment, you know, this pay-per-view or, or this championship win, it, you know, I, I would really have to spend some time thinking about it to try to isolate it to just one particular time because, man, it's been a hell of a ride, dude. I've had so many tremendous opportunities over the years. Well, I have enjoyed watching the ride. I've been watching it since I was a kid. I watch it now. I can't wait to watch it at the Royal Rumble. I'm going to be there in person. I'm going to be cheering for it. It's a dream match that I have definitely been looking forward to watching. And so uh, I'm excited to see you there. And I'm really thankful for you coming on here and doing this because I've got massive respect for you and your entire career. So I really thank you for coming on here. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. The pleasure was all yours. <laughs> have a good one. That was MVP, man. Really hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, very smart guy, knows a ton about the business, and I, it was cool picking his brain for a little while. All right, let's get all this uh, other stuff out of the way. Make sure you subscribe to Out of Character on whatever social media platform, excuse me. All right, let's get this other stuff out of the way. Make sure you subscribe to Out of Character on whatever podcast platform that you are listening on. If it's Apple Podcasts, if it's Spotify, if it's Google, make sure that you are subscribed to this show on there. And if they let you, please leave a rating or review. It does help out a lot. I tried to read some of the best ones on last week's best of edition, which I'm very thankful for those of you who listened. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find clips from Raw and SmackDown every week. And you can find this show on video every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time is when it premieres. Join me in the chat. I'm usually there chatting it up with everybody else. Also follow WW on Fox on social media. What are you doing? All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.